Welcome to the I Triumph Real Estate Blueprint Podcast, where greatness awaits you. I'm your host, Dr. Carlton Bell, an accredited real estate business development coach with over two decades of experience in the real estate industry. I would like to extend an invitation to all real estate practitioners to join us every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as we take a deep dive into the complexities of establishing new business opportunities, implementing accountability, developing mental toughness in a challenging market, all the while enhancing the growth and development of your business through learning and incorporating artificial intelligence. Whether you're an ambitious new real estate agent, a seasoned professional, a team leader, or a broker owner hoping to expand your company, or even if you're a declining rock star striving to regain your greatness, this podcast will serve your needs. Tune in to fully tap into your potential and become the prosperous and productive real estate professional you've always wanted to be. If you're ready to elevate your business, join us every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the I Triumph Real Estate Blueprint Podcast, where greatness awaits you. Welcome to the Real Estate Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carlton Bell. I have a very honored and distinctive guest here in the studio with me today, Miss Carissa O'Neill of Milestone Title. I am so extremely excited about having her in the audience with me today and to discuss this topic in regards to the National Association of Realtors and their lawsuit and everything that is going on. I know that there are there's a lot of chatter going on within the real estate community in regards to this lawsuit. What's going to happen? What's going on? We have absolutely no idea. So I figured I would bring on board one of the industry's best and top known people that's going to help us break this thing down and really talk about what's happening with this lawsuit in the industry. Um, before we do that, let me give you a little background on my guest today. Miss um, Carissa O'Neill Esquire is the Chief Executive and Principal Officer of Milestone Title. Milestone Title uh, is located in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, and she has run and owned and operated that company for at least uh, two decades now. Um, she's also a graduate from the historical Howard University, where she earned her Juris Doctorate from the Catholic University of America's Columbus School of, of Law in Washington, D.C. Um, she also is the founding member of the Black Owner and Women Collective, affectionately known as the Bow Collective. The Bow Collective is the nation's top 1% of Black women entrepreneurs and enterprises in our country. Um, Carissa O'Neill is one of the most knowledgeable people that I know. She is my go-to person in regards to any and everything real estate from a legal perspective. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Miss Carissa O'Neill to the podcast. Hello, Carissa. How are you today? Hello. I'm wonderful. Thank you. How are you? I am absolutely wonderful. I can't wait for you and I to dig into this lawsuit and just break this thing down. You know, what the purpose of our podcast is, uh, for those that may be listening for the first time, is really to inform and educate um, our realtor community, to provide some insight and guidance and coaching and things of that nature that's going to help them produce and be a little bit more productive within our industry. So today with this lawsuit, we're going to break this thing down and we're really going to talk about it. So Carissa, if you're ready, um, let's dive right in. All right. All right. 
Wonderful. I do want to make one quick correction, though. Nick, Nick Kober is the creator and founder of the Bow Collective. I am one of the founding members. Found members. Okay. All right. One of the founding members. Yes, we want to make sure that we give we give them props where props are due. Absolutely. Thank you for correcting me in regards to that. Now, let's dive into the lawsuit. I got a couple of questions that I want to ask you. I know that you are a wealth of information. So, Carissa, with this lawsuit and everything that's going on, can you provide a brief overview of the lawsuit for those who might not be familiar with the details? Yeah, so the core of the lawsuit is basically over the National Association of Realtors rule. They have a rule um, that for all of the listings that are on the realtor-operated MLSs, that they communicate offer and offer compensation to the buyer's agent, right? And that without that or but for that mandatory rule to offer compensation to the buyer's agent in that listing, sellers wouldn't compensate their adversary. Like why would a seller compensate their adversary, the buyer's broker in that transaction? And so on October 31st, uh, a Kansas City or a jury in Kansas City, Missouri, after about two hour deliberation, um, it didn't take them long. They found the National Association of Realtors and the other corporate defendants, which were Home Services of America, Keller Williams, Realogy and Remax, liable um, and that they had violated antitrust laws by conspiring to inflate or maintain high commission rates by setting rates and policies and rules and policies that made it difficult for sellers to negotiate lower rates. So in the jury's opinion, home buyers and sellers have been overpaying for real estate services for years. Now get this, the defendants must pay $1.78 in damages. Mm. Mm. Right. Now, you know, NAR is appealing the decision. It could take several years, so we don't really know what that impact is going to mean. And, you know, the holding in this lawsuit is really only applicable in Missouri. It doesn't create a legal precedent, but you know they can go back and use this precedent in a lot of their arguments. Wow. That 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 is a lot. That's a mouthful. The fact of the matter that NAR is being sued for $1.78 billion. That says a lot. Um, the fact of the matter that we're looking at that, how does that infringe upon or are they are they uh, in, interpreting this as them infringing upon antitrust laws? And, and if they are, you know, what's the relevance to the real estate professionals if, if that's the case? Well, you know, antitrust laws were created to ensure competition, right? A free and open market economy. They right. say that healthy competition, you know, promotes lower price points for consumers, higher quality products and services, and that there are a lot more choices and a little more innovation, right? It's kind of getting folks to, um, to compete against each other in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And for real estate professionals, you know, there are three antitrust issues that I believe real, I mean, there are more than three. Three, but I'll, I'm going to focus on three, right? Okay. So price fixing is a per se antitrust violation. So in the real estate community, right, brokers are typically pricing their services based upon a percentage of the sales price of a property. That's what the commission's based on. And at the same time, they're publicly announcing what that share of the commission to the buyer's broker will be because they want that buyer's broker to bring in that buyer. So it's not necessarily that they're 
fixed, right? You could say that they're not fixed, but kind of, sort of. So the real estate broker should understand that any agreement, whether it be express or implied, even verbal, with a complete competing brokerage to charge a certain commission could be a violation of antitrust laws, right? Group boycotts is another. So, you know, over the years, we've seen lower cost brokers enter the market. So there's typically this traditional business model where you have a listing, um, five to 6% commission is, you know, being offered by the seller to the listing agent. And then the listing agent, you know, offers a percentage of that to the buyer's agent or to the buyer's broker. Um, now you have some discount brokerages coming in. So with group boycotting, you could have certain real estate brokers saying, okay, well, we're not going to put this, we're not going to bring our clients to this particular discount broker. We're going to both agree not to do business with that broker. That agreement could violate antitrust laws, even if it's verbal. Yeah. And then another, I would say would be... Customer allocation, right? So, so what does that mean? That means that there could be territory. So in smaller, um, I would say smaller towns where you have the east side of the river, the west side of the river, um, we're going to have this particular brokerage only, you know, list properties on one side and the other broker on the other side. That is an antitrust violation as well, or mm -hmm. could be perceived as such. Yeah. Well, we all know that real estate brokers don't sit around behind closed doors and, and mark up territory and decide how they're going to boycott, you know, one particular broker that comes into town and, and does a, a, a discount, you know, to disrupt the market and things of that nature, because there is a, there is a, a, a thing out here right now where you do have a, a lot of brokerages that absolutely do charge less than what is considered to be the standard. However, there is nothing in writing that says that this is the standard, you right. know? So, so I think at this particular junction, you know, for people to sit back and think that, you know, there's some price gouging or price fixing or things of that nature that's going on. That's not the case. Um, it has always been my understanding when dealing with antitrust that that is the biggest violation as a real estate practitioner that you can get involved in to sit down and really have a conversation behind doors in regards to how we're going to outprice or try to uh, outmanipulate uh, someone coming into the market to prevent them from doing business in a particular area. So I think that's kind of uh, kind of crazy that they would have that in that lawsuit to suggest that. Sitting where I sit, you know, on the title side, I'm seeing all of the transactions that are coming through and the discount brokerages are not at the table, right? right. So if that were happening, we would see less closings um, from or in with, you know, the discount broker and the traditional brokerage system. And that's just not the case, right? Yeah. I think realtors um, are, their goal is to find their client the best home that for their client. And they're doing that by what, you know, and so in doing that, they're not boycotting anyone as far as I see. Right, right. And, and, and being, a, being a licensed broker, you know, in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, I don't see that at all. What I see is, is, 
agents representing their clients, fulfilling mm -hmm. the fiduciary duty to their clients in which they've been licensed to operate under. When you really start to look at Title I of the, of the articles, it says pretty much to protect and serve the public you know, to inform them basically. So I see that happening across the board. I don't see them saying, you know what, I'm not going to show this property because it's showing less than what I think I should be paid. They just really go out and do the work and try to help the, the potential homeowner or seller uh, negotiate the best possible deal for their property. Now, what do you think is the, what's the main argument by, by, that's being presented by the plaintiffs in regards to this case? That that cooperative compensation rule, right, which just means that the listing agent or the listing broker is agreeing to pay a percentage of their commission to the buyer broker, mm -hmm. that it really created a conspiracy to keep commission rates higher than yeah. the market would otherwise have created, right? And that NAR and various MLSs work together, here you go, to ensure that payment of buyer's agents happened. And by doing that, they inflated the amount of the total commissions paid by sellers. And I think that that's a stretch, right? right. Um, I just, I really do. Um, they're also arguing that commission fees were non-negotiable when listing a property. And we know that they're negotiable because yeah. they're not always at a set rate. They're just not. Right. And another one, they brought this um, expert in to show what the traditional or, you know, what the interest rates were around the world. And they really focused on Australia and Australia in the UK commissions are around 2%. And so they're trying to say that the commissions in the U.S. are just inflated much higher than they are around the world. But we know real estate markets are very different in other places. Right. Uh, but those were the basis of their main arguments. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's really, really interesting that they would try to pull in other countries and their market because things are so incredibly different. Um, I do. I have coaching clients that are in the British Columbia and the Canada market where they do things a little differently, but they are somewhat similar to how we operate here. But there is absolutely no price fixing or anything of that nature. And those agents, they operate, and, and I can't say this enough, real estate agents, you do have your bad apples within the bunch, just like in any industry. But for the most part, for the most part, you can you can go out on the limb and say that at least 98 to maybe 99% of them operate from an ethical standpoint. You know, so I think the argument that they're that they're making or they're trying to make is somewhat of a stretch at this particular point. Now, the lawsuit also claims that NAR policies lead to inflated commission prices. Can you really explain that and, and tell me how does that affect the current structure and why is it being challenged? Yes. So what's happening is that. So, for example, if the. Real estate commission. Okay. So listing agent and seller meet, right? They agree on a compensation for the listing agent and the listing agent agrees to give a percentage of that commission to the buyer's agent. What they're saying is that if a seller could negotiate rates and if a buyer could negotiate the compensation for their broker, that it would in essence 
lessen the amount of the sales price, right? And lessen the amount of the commission because they're saying right now, buyers don't have an option. Buyers aren't able to negotiate their broker fees directly. Um, that it's a fixed, it's price fixing is what they're, what they're claiming. But all fee structures are negotiable. And we've seen it. We've seen sellers, you know, negotiate lower rates with their agents. We've seen sometimes buyers agents will have that buyer pay an additional amount towards the commission, towards their commission at closing. It happens. Um, and so it's just, they're saying that it's inflating home prices and inflating the commission structure because it's a fixed flat five to 6%. Okay. So I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb here for a second and, and, and I'm just going to give my opinion. Um, when, when most real estate professionals that represent sellers, mm -hmm. when they sit down with these sellers and they go through that listing agreement, especially here in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. So you're talking about Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. So what you're talking about here is there is a clause in there to where the, where the seller has to agree to how much is being compensated or co-opt to the buyer broker. Okay. So let's not get that confused and, and think that, and this is really for the general public, that the, the listing broker or the listing agent sets the commission that's being co-opt to the buyer broker. Right, he does not. Not. He do, she doesn't do that or he doesn't do that. The right. seller is in complete control of that. Right. Now, on the other side of that table, you have the buyer and the buyer's agent or the buyer broker. And the buyer broker is really in a position to help to negotiate the best possible deal for their client. It has absolutely nothing to do with the compensation that's being received, you know, that's being co-opted out. Now, if the if the lawsuit is indicating and correct me if I'm wrong, but if the lawsuit is indicating that the buyer needs to be in control of the compensation, then I don't understand why the buyer themselves would even want to be in control of the compensation, because the compensation paid has nothing to do with the sales price of the property. Well, but they're saying it. the argument is that it does, right? The argument is that, you know, buyer brokers wouldn't show homes to their clients where the seller is offering a lower comp commission, right? Lower compensation. So they're arguing that, you know, if the comp, let's say that the compensation is 3%. Right. Or one percent to the buyer broker that, right. that buyer broker isn't going to be incentivized to bring their client to that property. Right. That's one of their arguments. Another piece is that if the they and the argument is that the buyer should be able to negotiate the buyer's broker's compensation. Right. And so but then but if they do that, then how are they going to be compensated? Who's compensating them? Is the buyer going to compensate them? Yeah. And that's my question. Who who compensates them? So and, and that's my that's the whole objective that I have in regards to to the lawsuit. You know, so because now at this particular point, let's just say hypothetically it's upheld. So now the responsibility to fulfill the compensation requirement falls back on the buyer. Falls back on the buyer. Point. And you and I both know that a lot of these buyers that are purchasing these properties, especially for the first time, are already cash strapped. Yep. Coming to the table, they're cash strapped. Yep. So if we're looking at this from the standpoint of, and hypothetically, let's just say it's a $500,000 purchase. And let's say the, the seller is only uh, co-oping 
let's say 2%. So now if the seller is co-opting 2% and the buyer broker is saying that we're looking to be compensated 3%, what does the buyer think that the other 1% is going to come from? In addition to the closing costs that they have to bring to the table. So that really is going to change up a lot of things as far as the pre-qualification of the buyer to qualify for that purchase, the closing costs that they have to come to the table with. It's really going to open up, I believe, a can of worms, but I'm not an attorney. I'm just a practitioner, you know, that's working in the field every day. And I and I have these interactions with these buyers that have absolutely no idea, you know, from start to finish what they're getting into if this is upheld. Because, you know, we deal, whether you're a first-time home buyer or a seasoned home buyer, working with a real estate professional is key because you're the expert, right? You're, you know how to walk um, your client through the process. You're negotiating on their behalf. So now if a buyer opts not to have a real estate agent represent them because they can't afford to pay the upfront fee, what does that look like for the transaction? Right. Out them being represented. Who's going to who's going to represent their interest. You know, now there could be some options where, um, you know, I thought about it getting rolled into the mortgage, like the mortgage insurance premium on an FHA loan, right? That potentially could be an option. Maybe, maybe right. not, right? right. Then right. you're going to have sellers with more negotiating power because now are they negotiating, you know, paying the closing cost credit, which ends up really being a buyer broker commission, what does that look like? So it's right. really, you know, there are so many things that could happen that we don't know. So now you're going to have both sellers and buyers um, negotiating lower rates with their with their brokerages. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if the if upheld, those are some of the consequences that we could be facing, you know, and that is going to have a, I believe, a tremendous impact on the way business is being done. You know, um, it's going to affect everything. So I really believe, and this is just my my opinion, that if this is upheld, then you're going to have sellers saying, I don't have to compensate the, the, the buyer's agent. I can put that responsibility back on the buyer yep. to compensate them since they want the responsibility. Let's give them the responsibility. Now you have now you have agents out here probably leaning a little bit more to the unethical side of what the lawsuit actually claims initially. So now if you know that the buyer cannot afford to pay you 2%, 3%, whatever the case may be, then how does that affect the properties that you show them at this particular point? I think at that particular point, now what they're claiming in regards to the lawsuit now becomes more relevant at that particular point. I agree. I agree 100% because they're going to use that as a negotiating tool, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And it's going to just limit the buyer's ability to be able to have access to more properties because that unscrupulous, because again, you know, we come in all, in all ways, um, that agent is going to, you know, look for those properties that's offering them the higher compensation, period. Absolutely. Okay. So Carissa, if, if this lawsuit is upheld, in what ways could the lawsuit potentially benefit the consumer in the real estate market? Well, they would, real estate commissions would be more negotiable, 
right? Okay. So because, you know, home buyers, sellers are going to be under the impression that they no longer have to, you know, a, list, a seller doesn't have to pay five or 6%, right? If this becomes, you know, widespread, there will be more competition amongst real estate agents to offer lower commissions to attract clients. And then like we were um, talking about before, it could pressure agents to reduce their fees and it could also pressure agents to only show properties where a certain commission is being offered, because it still doesn't mean that that commission can't be offered to the buyer broker. It still could be. And so you may have agents that are going to push their clients toward those properties. So that would benefit both the buyer and the agent. Um, but then another piece is that there could be alternative business models. So flat fees versus percentages, and then different levels of service at different prices. So for example, a buyer broker could say for this fee, I will show you 10 properties. Now for the graduated plan, you know, I'll show you the 10 properties, I'll negotiate the contract. For the plan above that, I'll attend closing with you. Who knows? Whatever they make up in their model, there would be different pricing structures with different levels. And so it would give the buyer the opportunity to choose which one they would prefer if they're the ones paying for it. I think that's absolutely crazy. I do. I mean, as a, as a real estate practitioner, I see that from a whole completely different perspective. I see that from the standpoint of me, if that's the case, having the ability to not show you properties that are not being compensated if you don't have the money, which at that particular point, I think it will have an overwhelming impact on inventory at that particular point. Now, we're already in a position now that nationwide we have an inventory issue already. Um, I think today the interest rate was hovering right around 7.2%. You know, so, you know, buyers are already a little bit skittish as far as the economy and the price of food and the price of gas and everything else that's out there. And now you come along and you infuse something like this into the picture, thinking that you're helping the general public when in essence, I think you're going to do more damage. Because now if, if, the, if the buyers say, well, we don't have the commission to pay you, only show me properties that are co-oping. So what happens with those properties that are not co-oping? They're going to endure longer days on the market, you know, and how do you even put together a market analysis around something like that? Because now your days on market are going to be different. Your price points are going to be different. Your compensation is going to be different. And when we're doing those market analysis, there's a huge factor in there that's called subsidy. You know, that we that we take into consideration also. So I think there's a lot there that probably, like you said before, this isn't probably going to fall out for at least a couple of years once they do the appeal and all of that. But it's a lot to consider. And I think as a as a as a real estate practitioner in today's market, hands down, you have to be equipped with this information. You have to be equipped. And let's take it to another to to another step, right? So without the MLS, so in the event that it's said that, you know, the MLS is part of what's creating the issue because it's a requirement that you join NAR to, to access MLS mm-hmm. and we have these anti-competitive, you know, these antitrust issues, how are buyers going to find homes? How are buyers agents going to find 
homes for their client, right? I think back to the day before the MLS, when it was individual real estate offices, you would have to physically go into that office to find out which properties their their brokers there had listed. So Mm -hmm. how are sellers going to be able to sell and buyers be able to buy and have a um, larger market in order to do so? That's an issue. Yeah, that's an issue. So what what I want to do really quickly, Carissa, is I want to take a break. Um, I want to go ahead and uh, pay tribute to our sponsors. Um, This is Dr. Carlton Bell, and you're listening to the I Triumph Blueprint Podcast with my guest, Carissa O'Neill of Milestone Title. Uh, We'll be right back right after this. Are you in need of captivating graphic, web, or publication designs that truly stand out? Look no further. Introducing VX Pro, your ultimate solution for all your design needs. At VX Pro, we believe in crafting designs that leave a lasting impact and tell a powerful story. Our team of experts is dedicated to creating designs that embody depth, creativity, and compassion, ensuring that every project we undertake is nothing short of exceptional. From stunning publications that captivate your audience, to custom website designs that redefine your online presence, to honoring a loved one's legacy through meaningful funeral programs, our creative services have got you covered. Ready to experience the VX Pro difference? Visit our website at vxproinc.com and let us bring your vision to life. VX Pro, delivering excellence beyond your expectation, one design at a time. Have you put in place the tools and marketing strategies that will drive the revenue and growth outcomes for your business? Are you looking to expand your brand and image nationally and globally? Commercials, podcasting, graphics, and marketing support are just some of the ways we can dress up your business for prime time. We are EliteConversations.com. To learn more about us, Check us out at EliteConversations.com, our website, email us at ecpodcastmedia at gmail.com, or call us at 301-900-5703. There are many people that need to know about the wonderful products and services you have to offer. Let Elite Conversations help you to get the word out. And we're back uh, with our guest speaker today, Carissa O'Neill of Milestone Title. Uh, we're really talking about breaking down this NAR lawsuit. Um, Carissa, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. I have a couple of more questions okay. and we can move on with the rest of our day. So I understand that there are a few co-defendants who settled in this lawsuit. Uh, what do you think the impact of that will be for the for the market itself? Well, the two that settled, uh, Anywhere Real Estate, and they're the parent company of Century 21, Sotheby's International, and Coldwell Banker, and Remax. They settled for $83.5 million and $55 million, respectively, right? Wow. Right. So both companies agreed they're going to change some policies, 
but enhancing the transparency around commission requirements is already a policy. So I don't know how that, you know, it's very transparent, right? In the listing um, agreements and the buyer broker agreement. So I don't know what additional amounts they're doing there, um, but here's the catch. They're no longer going to require their agents belong to NAR, the National Association of Realtors. And Redfin also went, but Redfin's got some other things going on. They announced that they're um, not going to require their agents to be members of NAR either. Hmm. And this is a huge impact because if you want to serve your clients, I mentioned this before, in many U.S. cities, you have to be a member of NAR in order to access the MLS, period. And accessing the MLS is the database of properties that are on the market, lockbox codes, industry standard contracts, like the MLS is where realtors get a lot of their information. And so that's going to be a major issue if that if it changes in that way. Yeah, I, I, I can't really. One, I'm really surprised that any brokerage would actually settle in this case because in in the when you start looking at this from the general the general public's perspective, anytime you settle in something, it's an admission of guilt when it's coming from the from a lawsuit side. Um, so I'm I'm a little surprised that Coldwell Banker, Century Twenty One, uh, Sotheby's International, Remax, which are all your big box brand brokerages, would actually settle in this, especially when they already have these things already in place for their agents. It just seems like to me that it would be more of an educational process at this particular point, instead of just being scared that they're going to impose upon you 1.78 billion, like we talked about before. So we'll take the short, we'll take the short end of the stick and settle for 83.5 million and 55 million respectively, like you said. That's just crazy to me. But what's even more absurd to me is to give the agents the opportunity to pull out of NAR because NAR isn't just about contracts and affiliations. It's about what they do for us from a from a legal perspective, as far as as far as making sure that we're compensated properly, as far as antitrust laws and all of that other stuff. So I'm really surprised that they're doing that. Now, if the plaintiffs are successful on the appeal and the verdict is actually upheld, how do you foresee the real estate industry adapting to the new commission models? Well, you know, home buyers again, um, they may be required to pay their agents commission and they may not be able to afford it, right? If they have to pay it upfront or out of pocket, um, it's already enough for some with down payment and closing cost assistance programs. There are those. So now where they're going to be a, um, real estate commission payment assistance program. I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe the commissions could be rolled into the mortgage, like the mortgage insurance premiums on an FHA loan, potentially that could be yeah. buyers might not hire agents to avoid having to pay the commission. And that's a major issue because buyers without representation, I mean, oftentimes they just don't know they need help. It's one thing if you have a seasoned investor, but we're talking just across the board, um, you know, your your standard first-time home buyer, let's say, they really need that representation because they don't have a clue, you know, and, and yes, folks are doing online research, but it's not the same as having a real estate broker who has been in the game for years, who know the ins and outs, who know how to negotiate, 
um, who can represent their client, you know, to the best. Like I'm, I'm all for um, having a real estate broker on, on the team. And then um, home sellers will have more negotiating power. Right. So then that, you know, you know how we oftentimes fluctuate between a buyer's market and a seller's market based on interest rates, inventory, whether or not a buyer can get um, closing cost credits from the seller based on where the market is. All of that negotiating is going to change and kind of really be in the seller's and the seller's hand. I think there's one that 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 we've failed to mention that is really going to have a major impact or this could really have a major impact on. And that's your veterans your VA loans. Yeah. It could be a major impact because I can tell you right now, as you and I both know, the VA doesn't even want you to put any fees associated with their borrowers on that, on that closing document. They don't want them paying anything. So if this is upheld, how does it affect the VA? How does it affect your veteran borrowers? You know, Wow. And you're so right. There can't be an admin fee on the buyer side. That's yeah, that's a major piece. That's a major piece. Yeah. The VA doesn't even want them to pay for the termite inspection. Nevertheless, to pay the the buyer's commission. So those are all laws and rules in place that would also have to be overturned or addressed in some way. Exactly. So now when you step into that water, I think it gets a little murky because now you're talking about the veterans and you're affecting the veterans. Having been a veteran myself, you know, and and representing a lot of veterans and working with them, you know, it's a little difficult to, to tell someone who literally put their life on the line to defend this country that in order for them to have access to home ownership, they have to cough up at least two or three percent of the actual purchase price of the property. I just can't see the VA doing that. Now, in closing, what advice would you give to real estate agents and brokers to prepare for potential outcomes of this lawsuit? What changes should they be anticipating? What can they make? What can they do to protect themselves? Well, do what you're doing now, right? Which is using those buyer representation agreements. Okay, let me pause you right there. What I've noticed across the country depending on the market, because I coach clients coast to coast, not everybody, every market has a buyer agency agreement in place. Yeah, they don't have that. So that's what I'm hearing from a lot of my coaching clients that are in, say, Ohio or that are in the New York market. They don't use buyer agency agreements. So they're going to have to come up with a way to have something in writing to where they could have this representation. I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, yeah, I had no idea. Thank you. No yeah, idea. Because there isn't, it isn't widespread across the board, across the country, that there is a by agency representative representation form or agreement in place for them to use. So I'm if, sorry. If, if you don't have one, create one. Right. Talk to talk to a a board in another state where they use them. Um, Talk to an attorney to help formulate one. Right. And what what it is, is it's a formal agreement and it gives full transparency, the terms, the expectations, what the buyer is to expect from the agent, what the agent expects from the buyer. Right. It details the services, 
Um, it also gives clarity of understanding and what the obligations are, right? What they're obligated to do, the code of ethics. And so it's a good way to have an exchange um, with the buyer, between the buyer and the broker, as far as expectations. Like you want to put it all out in writing. Um, you also want to explain the process, explain what commissions are, that they are negotiable, explain how the MLS marketplaces promote equity, transparency, that how, you know, if you're representing a buyer, how, you know, accessing the MLS gives them so many more options to be able to, to be able to see. Um, and then your value proposition, right? Like, what are you offering? You know, what's the quality and value of your services? What sets you apart from the other brokers or realtors out there, right? You, you have to make sure that they know this because a lot of times folks will say, um, well, I don't need a realtor. Like, what are, what are you doing for me? I can go on and look for properties myself. And, you know, and we've had that, right? Folks would call our office and I'm like, no, there, there is major value in working with the broker. Um, let me tell you why. And so right. that's a big part of your responsibility. And then become real knowledgeable, right? About real estate commissions and be open to new business models. Those different fee structures, the flat rate versus different levels of services for different fees and be prepared to negotiate Yeah, and, and, and have your strong reasons why. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that is probably one of the biggest factors. You're going to have to learn how to negotiate. Mm -hmm. Down. You're going to have to understand the market. You're going to have to understand what the rules and regulations are. You're going to have to be able to adapt. There, this market is always changing. It's always evolving. And this is pretty much something that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Uh, the potential of change. You know, it's one thing to go from one MLS system to another MLS system and things of that nature, or to go from one CMI, one one CRM to another CRM and have to learn that. But you're talking about industry standards yep. and understanding it. And what I've seen over my two decades, a lot of agents don't know that. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that if this is upheld, which I doubt very seriously, but if it is upheld, I think it'll be a huge reduction in our agent capacity. Um, across the board in the country. I think you're going to have a lot of people that are going to get out of the business because it's going to become too complicated. You know, remember too, this is a, this is a relationship business, right? We're building relationships with our clients. You know, a lot of um, brokers and realtors that I know their clients then become their lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. And in, our, in my industry, a lot of our realtors and our buyer and seller clients become lifelong friends. And so this is relationship based. And so as long as we're communicating and the value proposition on both sides. So in learning to negotiate, it's a win for everyone. Nobody yeah. loses. The, the broker wins, the, the consumer, the buyer wins. Same thing with the listing and the selling. It's, it's, it's a win for everybody because you're really uh, building that relationship and doing what's fair for everyone, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's where the, the entire thing of explaining the process to your clients really come into play. You have to be able to explain that listing agreement and you have to be able to explain the buyer agency agreement, especially the compensation portion. If you do not explain the compensation portion, then you're going to find yourself in a predicament that you have absolutely no way to get out of. All right. So, Carissa, I really want to thank you for joining us here today on the I Triumph Real Estate Blueprint podcast. Before we leave, how can they contact you? How can they reach you, Carissa, at Milestone Title? 
Well, I want to thank you. It's been an honor uh, to be here to talk to you and your guests. So thank you so very much. And I can be reached. Um, our social handles are use milestone title and our website milestone title llc.com. And we can be reached at 301-459-0400. Wonderful. Thank you, Carissa. Have a great rest of your day. And we'll see you again soon here on the I Triumph Blueprint podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here today on the I Triumph Real Estate Blueprint podcast, where greatness awaits you. Take note, success in real estate does not solely rely on relentless effort. Rather, it's about implementing intelligent strategies and focusing on consistent skill enhancement. Business development and coaching offers the direction, tactics, and expert knowledge you require to spot phenomenal growth and development in your business. So don't hold back from taking your real estate career to the next level. Let's be clear, the transformative power of coaching can establish or rejuvenate your real estate enterprise. So seize the chance today and allow us to guide you to the peak of success that you've always envisioned. Kindly visit our website at itriumphenterprises.com as well as follow us on all social media platforms at drfitz17 for all of your real estate coaching and consulting needs. You can listen to our podcast on all major streaming platforms. So get in touch with us today to commence your journey towards a prosperous future in real estate. Well, we'll see you here every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the I Triumph Real Estate Blueprint Podcast, where greatness awaits you. I'm your host, Dr. Carlton Bell. Thank you again for joining us, and we hope to see you real soon.